Uh, before I jump in, I just want to say Greg and Michelle are not here this morning because Greg took his bride out for her birthday. Today is Michelle Haswell's birthday. Uh, they're in the mountains somewhere. If you need them, they said, don't call. Uh, they're busy. Now, we are continuing in a series that we have been in for the month of September that we have entitled Family Matters. And what we've been looking at is God's design for the institution that he established called family. And what does that mean? We live in a day and age and culture where people have many different philosophies of how the family should operate, act, and function. And what we wanna simply ask is what was God's design? What is his blueprint for family? Uh, and before we dive in, I wanna lay a few resources before you that helped inform my message today outside of the scripture. Um, some books that have really been helpful. We're gonna be talking about healthy homes today. I've been commissioned to talk about family on mission and what are we called to do? And in order to talk about what God has called us to do, we have to talk about who we are called to be. And so uh, my, my message in my opinion is very simple in terms of its layout. I wanna talk about five sections that make up a healthy home. We're gonna talk about sonship. We're gonna talk about singleness. We're gonna talk about marriage, parenthood, and grandparenthood. Uh, but, but in order to do that, here's some books that have been really helpful. They are on the journey map and to make it easy access for you, you can also get them on the QR codes. The first book I'd recommend as we talk about sonship and singleness, we'll be talking about our individual life purpose. And it's a book that uh, our one and only Greg Haswell wrote on uh, called Prepared for Significance talking about our life purpose. You can find it on our journey map under life on mission. And then here's three books that are under home life on the journey map. The next book I wanna recommend is Marriage by Paul Tripp. Um, Paul is a phenomenal writer and speaker, uh, just full of grace and transparency and vulnerability. And he writes about six gospel commitments that we should have in our marriages. It's a very good book. I've read it multiple times over. Another book that I've read multiple times over, parents, if you've not read this book, Habits of the Household by Justin Ur Early. Um, you come across books and sometimes they're phenomenal books with great content, but poor writing. And other times you have people who are really gifted at writing and their content is not great. Uh, Justin hits both of these things squarely. He's a phenomenal writer, but the content of this is incredibly practical. If you're a parent with kids in your household, please check out this book. Uh, and then finally, this is a book that I've recommended so many times, but as we talk about relationships and honor and trust and love and grace and boundaries, uh, Henry Cloud's book, Dr. Henry Cloud, Boundaries, it is a phenomenal book that has helped me in a number of ways, so much so that I, I read it literally every year. Um, that's, how, that's how helpful it's been to me. So I'd recommend these books to you uh, as we dive in today. I wanna start in Luke chapter six, verse 46. And uh, to give context of what we're looking at, uh, Jesus is preaching a famous message. We know uh, where he speaks of the Beatitudes, where he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. And what we're about to read is him landing the plane on this sermon. He's, he's in closing, but what I would wanna point out is he's not just talking about what he just instructed the people in in a single teaching, but he's beginning to speak to them about what does it mean to follow him as a teacher and as the Messiah, as a Lord. And this is what he says to the group of people as he's landing this message. He says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We live in a culture today where people will claim following God or claim a type of spirituality or even claim being a follower of Jesus. But what Jesus says here in Luke, and he reiterates in 1 John, where John writes and says, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, but do not do what he says is a liar and the truth is not in them. And we live in a culture where, where people go, oh, I follow Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, then why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't practice the instructions that I give you? 
We have a, a theology in the head and in the heart, but it hasn't gotten to the hands of practice. And so Jesus says, let me tell you about people who hear my gospel, who hear my message, but they do not put it into practice. And those who do put it into practice, this is what Jesus says. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, essentially on sand. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Two things about this parable that Jesus gives in the end of his sermon. He says two things that the wise and the foolish builder have in common. Number one, people hear the gospel. Both the wise and the foolish man have ears to hear the instruction and the message. Jesus says the difference between a wise builder and a foolish builder is those who take what they hear and they move it into practice in their everyday living. The second thing that these builders have in common is that the winds and storms of life strike both their houses. If there is something significant that, that people in the church are, are, are walking away in their faith, millennials are walking out of the church and it's because they, they have this essence of, oh, I'm, I'm an ex-evangelical. I tried Jesus and it didn't work for me because when I tried Jesus, the storms of life still hit me. And Jesus goes, that's life. That's not God displeased with you. And that's not you out of God's favor. The question is not, will the storms come? They will come. And when they come, what is your life built on? This series is summed up in this parable for me because what we are calling everyone to is how are you designing your life? What is the blueprint in which you are building with? And will it stand the tests and winds of time? We live right now and I, I for the love of me, I cannot understand the blindness and the arrogance of our culture who with such an emphatic boldness goes, we know how you should build your life. And they have a design and that design keeps changing its mind. We know how a man should be. We know how a woman should be. Have you noticed that in culture, if you look at the 1920s, 1940s, 60s, how a man ought to be in his home, how a woman ought to be in her home, how they have a clear design of how it should be. And now that same culture is berating what they built. And they call that progressive and evolving. I go, that's circling. You're ever changing and not building anything. It's, it's one generation builds up a three foot wall and the next generation with dishonor and disdain in their heart tears down that wall and then builds again, gets to three feet before they die. And the next generation comes. That's not evolving and progressive. You're literally not building anything. And yet Jesus has a design that has held itself in a timeless, perfect manner. That is a sure foundation because he's not doing what is vogue for one generation. He is the God of all generations and he builds in a timeless and perfect fashion. Now, I don't know, I'm just gonna be honest and transparent and vulnerable and you guys are gonna love me anyway. You don't laugh when people say they're gonna be vulnerable. You say, okay, Tyler, we're here with you. How dare, this is just, I feel shook right now. Now, wow, all my friends are just laughing. I mean, look at them. When it comes to God's design and timeless truth, I'm listening to week one of Bragg's message and he's describing what does a biblical husband look like? What does a biblical father look like? What does the home look like? And as he's describing what is God's perfect and biblical design, did anybody do what I do and go, uh-oh, that's not describing my family. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, am I messing up my children? 
like the whole time, just like, is my marriage on the rocks? And I didn't realize it because when I hold the weight of the scripture up against my life and how is Tyler as a husband and how is Tyler as a father, I go, I don't always like what I see. And so, so I just want to take a weight off us before we dive into to scripture and our time together. That if we hold this timeless truth and God's perfect design for this is what family is. And we think that this series is about taking a step back, surveying our life, and then asking, how do we measure up? All you're going to feel is a continual falling short. Because God does not only give us a perfect design, but he also gives us abundant grace. That, that think about this for a moment. God has a perfect design for how family ought to be. And then he gives that blueprint to imperfect men and women. And then he calls us to build a life in a broken and fallen world. If you are here today and you're like, I think my family's broken. I go, I agree. And if you're like, no, my family's fine. I go, give me 30 minutes at your Thanksgiving table. I will find the cracks. I will find the fractures. I will find the brokenness. I just need 30 minutes and I will tell you which uncle it is. Like our... Our life is filled with, is filled with divorce and absent parenting and, and uh, losing a spouse and burying a kid and miscarriage and infertility and traumas and PTSD and generational wounds. Every family, every family that lives in this world is broken in a number of different ways. And yet God does not forfeit on his truth. He doesn't say, that's okay, let's try something else. He holds up a perfect design and then he gives us abundant grace. And I believe that one of the best vehicles for his grace to be expressed in the family and home is the family of God, the local church. The uh, Japanese, they developed an art form called uh, kintsuki, which is just a fun word to say. I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but I just love it as it rolls off the tongue, kintsuki. It's this idea that they take broken pottery and plates and bowls, and instead of putting them back together and then covering up the blemishes, what they do is they have this lacquer that they've developed called urushi, which is another fun word. Uh, it's filled up with gold flakes and they put that into the lacquer so that as they put this vase back together, it's what you see here. This bad boy is 23 thousand dollars. If you want the link, I can get it for you. Uh, I would never put that in my home because I have two little girls. It would just, if it broke, it'd be horrible. Uh, this for me is a picture of family. This for me is what God had in mind, that he does not change the shape and form in which the family ought to look and how it ought to be. But where we fall short and where we see the cracks and the fractures of our life, his grace fills that space. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, his grace is sufficient for me. Where I am weak, he shines through and is strong. And so if you're here today and you're saying, I didn't have a dad, Tyler, I didn't have a mom. I'm gonna tell you that just because your dad and mom are not on the scene does not mean that you are without a father or a mother or able to have a spiritual inheritance. And we'll talk about that, that, that you find grace in the house of God and that men and women will fill those spaces to the best of their ability. Even though they're imperfect, God's grace would shine through our community. This is what family should look like, filled with his design and truth and his grace that is abundant. And so, so here's, here's my message in short. I want to talk about embracing God's blueprint. This series is not about holding up a standard and saying, how do I measure up? But rather embracing what is God's blueprint for a healthy home, not a perfect home, but a healthy one. And I want to talk about what does a healthy son or daughter look like? What does it mean to be a single in the house of God? With a marriage, parenthood, uh, grandparenting. I want to talk about all of these things. We're going to go through each one of those. And in each section, I just want to go, here is God's design for this space. And also here is God's grace 
when it doesn't look the way it should. Does that sound good? All right, let's go into sonship. Let's talk about biblical sonship. As we talk about the household and healthy homes, what has to be present in every aspect of the home is honor. If you're taking notes, write this down. You must have honor in every relationship in your home at every point during. It's not the only building block for a healthy home, but if you do not have this building block, you do not have a healthy home. As it pertains to children and parents, what we need to know is this, is that honor, it is a key that unlocks inheritance. Honor and humility and coming humbly to learn and to obey instruction. Honor, it is a key that unlocks spiritual inheritance. This is how God designed it to be. We see in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 12, uh, Moses is writing these commands and he says this. He says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving to you, the promised land, the land of inheritance. When you honor your father and mother, it goes well with you in the land of inheritance. Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter six, verses one to three. He says this furthermore, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honor is not something that never stops. When you are a child in your parents' home, meaning they are paid, you're like, well, am I a child? If they're paying your bills and buying your food, I don't, I'm not gonna put an age on, I'm saying if that is you, you are a child in your parents. I have to say this now because we have a failure to launch. I can't go there. It's just too, it's, if you are dependent on your parents to live and survive, the Bible would say the way in which you express honor is through obedience. Obedience is not honor. Obedience is an expression of honor and it's the right kind of expression for a child in a parent's home. As you grow up, it doesn't mean when I grow up and I'm in my own house and I'm living my own life, now I don't have to honor my parents anymore. No, honor never stops because honor, it unlocks inheritance and inheritance flows from our lives every single day and year as we go. The expression of honor might look different. You might be here and you might be an adult son living on your own and you're still called to honor your mother. I love the picture that Jesus and, and Mary, his mother, what is, what, how does a son honor his mother when she is getting older in age and he is on his own? Through protection, from watching out for her interest. Perhaps your father has gone on to be with the Lord. Perhaps he's not in the picture and you have a space where God's grace fills that space and you honor your mother by protecting her and watching out for her. Uh, daughters, you honor your mother through care and thoughtfulness. Send her a text. Let her know you're praying for her. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about you today. Sons, we honor our fathers by, by partnering with them in the purposes of God that they have for us. As we lead our own individual homes, we partner alongside them and build something beautiful together. We honor. Ladies, you honor your father through admiration. Text him on his birthday through Christmas. Hey, I was thinking about you. I just want to honor what I see as honorable. Honor never stops. This is God's design for children and for parents that we honor what is honorable and we forgive what is not because our parents are not perfect and they need our forgiveness and our grace just as much as they give that to us. Now that's God's design, God's grace. Perhaps you're here and you're saying, Tyler, I didn't have a dad in my life. I didn't have a mom in my life or I did and they were ungodly, even abusive. It was difficult for me to even honor them because of all the, the brokenness that they not only that was present in their life, but what they caused in my life. I just want to say that you cannot give what you do not have. My, my father, he, uh, he grew up in New York and I didn't know my grandfather. 
All I know is that he was an abuser and a drunk. And the only memory that I have of him is a picture of him and my dad and my uncle. And I think he might've held me when I was maybe nine months. That was who fathered my father for the first 18 years of his life. My dad would, would sleep on park benches because he didn't want to go home. And then when I come into the world, all I see is the love of a father who instructs me. If you said, Tyler, name one thing, about your I go, he prioritized Jesus, his wife and his kids beautifully. Where did that come from? He could not give what had not been given to him. So where do you go? When he gave his life to Jesus, he didn't just all of a sudden know how to be a dad, but he gave his life, not just to Jesus, but in service to the church and in the house of God, fathers came around him, spiritual fathers, and they taught him how to be a father. So that now my inheritance as I honor him is one of, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a broken fatherless home, but he did. If you're here today and you're saying, I did not have a dad, what I wanna to say to you, this room is filled with spiritual fathers and mothers. The way in which you access that, you go to them and what I do is when I look at a man and I see fruit in his life that I like, he's got a phenomenal marriage, married to the same woman for 50 years, or he's a phenomenal master of his finances, or, or perhaps it's with his kids. I go to them, I don't go to them and say, teach me everything you know. I just go, hey, this fruit in your life, I wanna honor that, would you teach me? Practically, I go, can I buy you a steak dinner and ask you 21 questions? <laughs> Who says no to that? I have many spiritual fathers who are teaching me how to humbly approach life. And this is what happens. Honor is a key that unlocks inheritance and you are able to have it. Don't use the excuse of, I didn't have a dad. My dad could have used that excuse. And instead he came with humility to men who came around him and poured into his life. Honor is a key that unlocks inheritance and you're not too far gone to receive it. All right, I, I wanna stay here forever, but I gotta move. Uh, let's talk singleness. I'd love to stay here for a little bit longer. Let's talk singleness. I'm excited about this one. Singleness, as we're talking about it today, is individual purpose. I want you to pause here, if you're, even if you're married, if you have not written down a personal life purpose or mission statement, you've not defined that yet, don't hear anything else that I'm talking about except this. Find out what your life purpose is, write it down and begin to practice it. As singles, individuals, I just wanna say this, your life purpose is not reliant on, it's not waiting on, it's not fulfilled by any one other person or any other stage of life, and it cannot be taken away from you. If you are here today and you've been single and even for a, a long time by our culture standard, you're saying, I just feel like I haven't been able to get on with my life because I'm still waiting on the life partner. I just wanna free you up. Your purpose is not dependent upon somebody else coming into your life so that you can get it going. Your purpose begins right here and right now. Your life purpose, I love what Romans um, chapter, is it 9, uh, 29, 11, 29? Bam, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. 11, 29, I was so close, I said nine first. The calling gift that is on your life is irrevocable. When I married my wife, Nicole, I didn't begin my life purpose. I literally used my life purpose and hey, is Nicole the one for me? Because if her purpose is this direction and my purpose is that direction, we're not the one. That's not the one. This isn't Jerry Maguire, they complete me. One's a whole number, baby. That should be on the tweets, I don't know, on the X, whatever they're calling it now. One's a whole number, baby. How do we find our life purpose? How do we craft that? Here's, here's the two things that, that helped me. I, I started working it through with a community of people, which I think community is really helpful to do this. Um, but, but two things that I ask myself, what is the injustice that I can't stand for? 
Like it, the injustice that I can't stand for is not the same as your injustice. There's an injustice in me that I, oh, I cannot live by this. It breaks my heart that it exists. And the other thing is to go, uh, what, is, what is my soul satisfied in? What makes me come alive? I hold up those two realities and I ask two questions in between those two realities. Who has God called me to be? And what does he call me to do? And then when I write those down, I step back and I go, can this ever be taken away from me? And if it can't be taken away with me, from me, I need to rework it. So here's the two things for me. I'm just gonna use mine as an example. Who I am, I, I've realized this in the last four or five years. I am called to be a father. And you can tell her, but you need your daughters to be, I don't know. I, I knew this even before I was married, before I even had kids. You give me a story or a movie, doesn't matter how cheesy it is, of a son or a daughter trying to fight their way back to their father, I will break down and have an ugly cry. Bad. I go, I don't need kids to go, what, what is a dad to me? It's what I see modeled in my own family's life. It is somebody who takes life and pours out their life for the sake of somebody else to succeed. I go, it is a crime that we have fatherless homes an absolute crime in my heart and spirit. I can't stand for it. If you want to look at all the issues that are going on in life, I would push it back to it's because we have a fatherless generation. You want to talk about poverty? I go, it's because they didn't grow up with a dad. You want to talk about sex trafficking? It's because it wasn't people being parented and fathered properly. And you can say, Tyler, I disagree with you. I go, then tell me your injustice, but this one is mine and it's who God made me to be. And I don't need to be a pastor for it. I don't need to have kids. I don't even need to have a wife. I go, I am going to pour out my life for the sake of others because for me, that is the perfect picture of the gospel. Here's what I am called to do. This is so simple. And you're gonna say, that's not very impressive at all. I go, I've just found my soul is satisfied when I am doing this. Tyler exists to build great things with great people. My parents nailed it, ironically. The name Tyler means builder. I go, when I take a step back at my life and when I find satisfaction, it's I am building something great. You go, how do you define something great? When I am with a great group of people and we're on a mission together, I go, this is a great work. And nobody can take this away from you. You go, well, what makes a great person? Somebody that I honor, love, and respect. You can take me, put me in any state. I'm gonna find people that are great and wanna do great things in our city or in the church. And I am going to build something with them. When I do these things, I come alive. Singles, what is your thing? I'm not judging this statement at all because it's not about when you say waiting on the life partner. Instead, I think a better way of saying waiting on my life partner is I am building towards my life partner. Second Corinthians chapter four, it says, we do not look at the things that are seen, but are unseen because the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are, are, are eternal. This is God's way of saying, what are the promises that I made to you? And you don't have to start building your life once they become tangible. You can start building them in faith right here and right now. I'm not waiting on somebody to get here so I can get going on the mission. I am building. And as I build, if they come into my line of sight, I go, join me in the work. Singles, I just want to say, just, just that's God's design, God's grace. If you're here today, you've been single for a long time, or perhaps even you're, you're a widow or a widower, I just want to say, just because you lost a spouse or you haven't found a spouse yet, you've not lost your purpose. I think so many people, they, they find themselves in an identity from parenting or from even marriage and all of these are good things, but that is not who you are. God made you whole and complete and then he couples you with somebody to build a life together, but he still has a mission and a call that will never be taken away from you. It cannot be taken away. Amen? I gotta move on. I gotta move quick. Let's talk marriage. I wanna stay here, but I do need to move on. Marriage, for me, let's talk about God's design for marriage. Marriage is a covenantal sacrificial love between one man 
and one woman in submission to God. This is what God's design for marriage is. For me, out of all of the things that we talk about today, this is the one that is being challenged every which way left and right by our culture about what marriage should be. And I'm simply gonna say, here's what God's design for marriage is. It is a covenant of sacrificial love between a biological man and a biological woman, and they are submitting their lives to God. When I talk about what is God's blueprint, what, we, what the series is about is about going, let's clearly define God's blueprint. And now we have a choice. How will I build my life? Will I build on a sure foundation that Jesus says, hey, follow my instructions, put it into practice, or will I build it my way? And this is the invitation for anybody here to go, if you want to build it your way, culture loves that. If you want to build it God's way, he is not unclear about the design. And so I just want to, I want to share that because I'm going to call us to reject a blueprint design that culture would have for us and embrace the blueprint that God has for us. And throughout scripture, old to new Testament to in the gospels, God has not changed his mind on this. If you go to uh, Genesis chapter uh, two, verse 24, Jesus, or God is uh, in the garden. He is, he is officiating the first marriage between uh, Adam and Eve. And he says this, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Before sin entered the world, this is what God said is my prototype for marriage. I find it fascinating that he speaks to Adam and Eve who don't have a mom or a dad and says, for this reason, a man would leave his father and his mother. And they're like, who's that? <laughs> which should tell us, hear this, which should tell us he wasn't just giving them a command. He was giving them a prototype about how all marriages should come after them. It wasn't just a, here's your marriage. It's going, here's how we build marriages. A man will leave his father and mother and the chief become mother. Then sin enters the world and you go, did that change marriage? While, while sin was still having lordship over man's heart and soul, Jesus comes on the scene before he is crucified and died, uh, which means he hasn't redeemed all things. Sin is still prevalent in the world. And when asked about marriage, what did Jesus say about marriage? Matthew uh, chapter nine, uh, 19 verses five to six, it says, and, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Before sin, a man will leave his father and his mother, the two will become one flesh. During sin having its reign, a man will leave his father and his mother and the two will become one flesh. Then after Jesus dies and is crucified and sheds his blood, he redeems all things. And if there's a time to change up the plan, it was then. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, or sorry, uh, is it 31? Boom. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I'm telling you here, you can build your life however you want. What you can't do is say that the Bible is unclear about its design. It's not unclear. So I just want to say in the culture that we're in right now, and I'm not speaking to the culture, I'm speaking to the church of God. I'm saying, if you want to build by God's design, some three things just to throw out. Number one, the Bible up and down Old Testament and New Testament condemns all other forms of sexual expression outside of this, what we just read. Condemns all other forms. Number two, the Bible, nowhere does it affirm any other sexual expression except for what we just read. Number three, the Bible only affirms this design of sexual expression between a man and a woman. So it condemns all throughout homosexuality, pornography, fornication, you name any type of perversion that our culture is trying their hardest to make up. 
like just the, the, the absurd titles and names that they, they are trying their best to redefine. And I'm going, if you want to build your life that way, go for it. But if you're going to say, oh, the Bible tells me so, that's just not true. Now you can say, Tyler, why does that matter? Why can't you just love people that love? Why, why does that actually matter? Ephesians chapter five, verse 32. It's such an important passage of scripture. It, it reads this, Paul, after he says, a man would leave his father and the mother, he says, this is a profound mystery. He's been talking about marriage in chapter five. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your life for your wife as Christ did for the church. He says, this marriage, this is a profound mystery, but he goes, but I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ in the church. Why does this matter so much? Because if people have a misinterpretation of what earthly marriage looks like, they'll never have a clear picture of the bridegroom, Jesus. If you misinterpret this, you'll never see this clearly. And the church exists so that people would know Jesus, the real Jesus. And Paul goes, if you can't understand these earthly things, you'll never understand these eternal truths about Jesus and his body, his bride, his church. It matters deeply. That's God's design. Here's God's grace as I can speak with husbands and wives. I don't know if you found this to be true or not, but as you made vows to your wife or your husband on your wedding day, you had every intention of keeping that covenant. Has anybody else found that after the passion and zeal of the honeymoon in life began to happen, that the vows got harder and harder and heavier and heavier to carry out? Just me. Okay, wow. <laughs> A group full of liars. Here we go. No. We have every intention of keeping our covenants to our spouses. Promises that we make, I'm with you till sickness or in health, death do us part, richer for, for poor. We make these covenants, but without the grace of God, we have to know that there's no possible way to fulfill such a covenant. And this is why we must look at Jesus and how he chased after his bride, us, the church. That when we were unfaithful to our promises, he filled the space between us with his abundant grace. If your marriage is feeling dry and hard and difficult, I think date nights are wonderful, but a more practical thing, may, may, I would sit with your wife or your husband and I would pray for grace to flow in your home. You don't need another romantic date night. What you need is the grace of God and forgiveness flowing through. I would highly recommend this book uh, from Paul Tripp on marriage. Very helpful in this regard. All right, number four. Still great on time, praise God. Let's go. I want to talk about parenthood, but as it pertains to parenthood, Greg, I, I would just go, go to week one of this series. Greg went after family and parenting and directing your kids. And so he covered a lot of ground for the sake of time. Here's what I want to say about parenting. Parents, here's what we have to know and, and just settle on our hearts. And honestly, it's the most freeing thing that's helped me is that our kids do not belong to us. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. They don't belong to the government or the education system or the culture. They belong to God. And God only gave them one steward over their life. And it's imperfect men and women called parents. You are the most qualified, the most caring. The government doesn't have a right to them. The education system is not more qualified to instruct them. Culture wants to take from them. We are called to take care of them. It is our responsibility. And yet the most freeing thing to acknowledge is going, these kids do not belong to me. I don't own them. 
I'm not creating little mini me's. I'm not forging them into what I want to be. I don't, I don't take all the, the woes of my life and I wish that I could be this way. The culture foolishly builds their kids with pride and an ego as little trophies and go, well, I, you know, I wasn't the soccer star, but I'm going to make sure my sons are soccer stars. I'm, I, my, we have four generations of doctors and by golly, you're going to be number five. If we're forging and creating our kids, what we're doing is we're making graven images and idols. Parenting is not about forging your kids, but discovering who God gave you and teaching them how to submit to his will and purpose as you together reveal what that thing is. I, I look at my daughter. I look at my daughter and I see so many brilliant things of, of, of her mom in her. I look at my daughter and I see parts of who I am in her. And I love the gift that God has given me in that. To see your kids smile and you go, I recognize that smile. I love that. But then there's an other that's not Nicole or myself that is just all Evie. And I go to my, I go, God, tell me what you've given me here. I don't even fully understand. I just know it's a beautiful gift that you've given me. Help me discover who she is. And when, we, when it's co- the call, as Greg said, we went to direct your kids in the way in which they should go. The direction is called out, not by you, not by the child's feelings, but by God. God, who did you give me? And what I want to do is I want to instruct them in the way that they should go. We will stand before God and be accountable for our kids. But please hear me in this. You are not accountable for how your kid turns out. I want to free some people here. You're not accountable for how your kids turned out because they don't belong to you. They belong to God. I cannot save my little girl's heart. All I can do is put kindling around their heart. So when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to breathe on it, there's something that I've put around it that would catch fire. But it is not my responsibility to make sure that they turn out to be a success in life. There. What are we held accountable for? We are held accountable to instruct them and to model for them the purpose and will of God and how we submit ourselves to it. I tell my daughters, this is the way you should go because I am taking, I am taking my cue from the Lordship of Jesus, who is the Lord over our home, not daddy. And then I model for them. If there's something that I'm going to model for my kids is if there's one thing I want them to say, this is who my dad was. It was, he took very seriously the things of God. And when he discovered the things of God, he submitted his life to that will and purpose and surrendered everything for it. And if our kids can't say that, then we have a problem. I, I, there's some scripture I just want to just lay before I, I, I skipped over them quickly, but Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, uh, 24, 24, 1 rather, uh, it says this, we can go back to the scriptures. It says that all things belong to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Go to the next one, Ezekiel 18, 4. For everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. And I love, this is a freeing statement. The one who sins is the one who will die. What that means is, is I will stand before my God and creator and give an account for my life and my decision. And your kids will stand before their God and creator. And what we are doing is not standing in the gap for them and saying, well, let me explain my kid. No, if, they, if you instruct them and you model for them and then they rebel and they ignore that, that is on them, not you. But what we have the ability to do is to instruct them in monoform. Here's the way in which you ought to go. And then watch daddy and mommy as they do that. They don't just prescribe to you a medicine that they themselves are not willing to take. Parenthood is about discovering who your child is. And every good and perfect gift comes from above. Your child is a gift. 
and where you see the, the fractures and the brokenness and the challenges of their life, I am telling you that is where you will one day marvel because the grace of God will shine through your child's life so sufficiently. Those aren't my words, that's the Bible. And I believe in his design. Let's talk about grandparenthood. What I want to say when it comes to grandparenthood, I want to just define is I don't mean that you have grandkids. What I mean is perhaps you're at the stage where you are um, preparing for retirement or you're already in retirement. You're an empty nester. Uh, in other words, your kids are, are outside of your home. You're watching them grow. Perhaps they have started having children, but you're just watching them excel in life. And you're taking far more of a position of, uh, of an instructor and coach with suggestions more than a parent who's going, this is what you're going to do. You're on that side of things and you're seeing it progress. And, and here's what I wanna say about this season and stage. It is here that we, and I'm saying this because all of us will get here one day, we must embrace God's multi-generational purpose for our family here. If you're in this stage of life, we have to talk about multi-generational purposes. Our God sees our individual needs and our individual purpose that he created for us, but he is the God of multi-generations. And it's at this stage that we have to start building towards transition and preparing to hand off and bless the younger generation. This is not a, this is a, a joy filled party season, but it's also filled with some sadness. I'll, I'll explain it this way. I, I was talking to uh, Greg in preparation for today. And I said, in studying this, I said, I now realize what I asked of you when I asked for Nicole's hand in marriage and God, what he required of Greg, he's now, he's now gonna require of me twofold because I have two little girls. When I came to Greg, think about this for a moment. If you're in this season, I'm not just talking about kids, I'm talking about maybe you built a business or a ministry or you're built, you've built something in your life that, that is a value, that is prominent, that is amazing. And the Lord would ask you to give this with blessing to the next generation. Greg and Michelle, they raise an infant little girl into a young lady. They are with her when she is sick and she's feverish and they're sleeping in that uncomfortable recliner chair all night so that she can sleep and they get no sleep. They are feeding her because if they don't feed her, she's not gonna make it. They're changing her diaper. They are, they are with her in the highs of life, celebrating birthdays and ceremonies and, and, and excitement. And they're with her, holding her and crying with her when she experiences the losses in life and, and, and heartache. And they do all of this work, blood, sweat, and tears, and they raise this little girl and then all of a sudden, some guy comes in with a smile and charisma. Healing over us. And he goes, this girl's amazing. She's built different. And, and then I go, can I have her hand? And Greg has a choice here to go, no. Because this is what I made and what I built. This is, she's in my house, she's my daughter. And he has the choice to either hold control and authority or to release what he raised and to see the continuation of God's dream manifest and move forward. And at this stage, this is, this, it's filled with joy. When we got married, it was a party. We had a fun ceremony. We're celebrating with our friends. There was so much joy, but you can't tell me that some of those tears was recognizing the end of an era. Some of you have already handed off your daughters or handed out your sons to marriage and, you're, and, you're to, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's joy in it, but you're also going, man, this is an end of a season. And you have the ability to either choose control or the continuation of God's dream, but you cannot have both. 
And if Greg did not give Nicole's hand to me in marriage, he would not have his two granddaughters. You can keep what you have or you can trust that what God is calling you to release is going to lead to a bigger and better dream that you could not possibly fathom or imagine. We have to come back to the principle of leaving and cleaving. A man will leave his father and mother and join to his wife and the two. I didn't join Greg and Michelle's home. Nicole and I made our own home. I'm their son. She is a daughter to my parents, but we are not in their households. We are building our own healthy home. And, it, and, it, and I just want to just lay before, it is in our generation right now, the younger generation has in the culture, they build like foolish builders. They have a disdain for the older generation. And they, they're just, well, these guys are backwards. They don't know what they're talking about. Let's just push them out of the way and let's build our own thing. And if you sow dishonor, you will be able to have authority and control. A young man has strength, but in their ignorance and strength, they will build something else. But if there's no honor, there is no inheritance which means you're starting from ground zero. Which means for me, I wanna stand on the shoulders of my fathers and I wanna take ground that they've never even dreamed to take. But if I dishonor them, I'm speaking to the younger generation for a moment, if we dishonor our forefathers and what they built, what that means is we have to take steps back and refight the ground that they already took just to get back to even. But if we honor them, and we take all the godly things that came from that generation, not because it's what they built, but it's what God built through these men and women. If we take what they built, we stand on their shoulders and we build from one degree of glory to the next. This is called generational wealth biblically. So the older generation though, if you see the younger generation as a threat who is taking something of value to you, they're not, they're not pushing you out. They are embracing the call of God on their life. And so if we, if the younger generation dishonors the older generation, we have to start from ground zero. But if the older generation does not give and bless to the younger generation, the dream of God will die with you. And we have to start again. Malachi chapter four, verse six, it says that the children's heart would turn to the father and the father's heart to the children. We're talking about a multi-generational acknowledgement of going, I choose to honor you and I choose to release authority to you. When Greg released Nicole's hand into mine, I wasn't sharing with him. It's, she, she's now my wife. So you go, does that mean he, he's losing authority? Absolutely. I need to go back to the individual purpose and calling. Just because you are losing a role or a position does not mean you've lost the call or the work that God has called you to. That, that when God calls you to release, it doesn't mean he's calling you to retire. Oh, that we would have men and women who die with their boots on. You say, I can't believe God would ask me to, to raise something up and to release. And again, I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about the things that you are building in your life. You have to raise those things up, pour out your blood, sweat, and tears, and then release them. And if you do not, the dream will die there. But if both generations acknowledge one another and we embrace, not resist the multi-generational purposes of God, we will see his faithfulness and grace go to our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids and so on. It is my passion that we build healthy homes, healthy homes in our churches, and healthy homes in our own individual houses. They're not perfect homes, but if they are filled with God's truth and God's grace, they are a great worth, a work worth giving our lives for. 
I want you just to acknowledge, ask the question, where am I right now in a healthy home? What's my role? What's the position that I'm in? What has God called me to do in this moment? Ask the honest question, where does grace need to flow? Where am I deficient? Husbands, ask yourselves, where do I need to be filling myself with grace and meet my deficiencies? Where can God fill me with grace so that I could be a better husband to my wife? You're not a perfect husband, but you're the husband that God gave to her and it wasn't a mistake. He's designed you to be a bridegroom to her. Wives, you are called to fulfill the role of a bride to your husband. Ask the question, where am I finding the deficiency? If you're single, if you're in that stage of sonship, ask at Lord, show me my purpose. Teach me your ways and tell me how I ought to go. Let us be a people who are submitted to the will of God. I am convinced that this room is full of great people and together we are gonna be build great things together called Healthy Homes, amen.